Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing great. It was so much fun today to have the opportunity to speak with CNN anchor Ana Cabrera. What an amazing person and an amazing runner. And I don't know about you, but I was just completely blown away by her running story. Yeah, I just amazingly, um, it's such an expansive running uh, story that she has, uh, you know, she, she got a lot of attention or, you know, we, we uh, you know, have all seen recently, she just ran the New York City Marathon sub three hours, which is amazing in and of itself. But um, what a lot of people may not know is that she had a very successful high school and collegiate running career as well. So um, I always just find it really remarkable when somebody can run when they're young and, and then really, um, you know, continue that success and, uh, and that passion for the sport through, you know, through parenthood and, and career and beyond. So I, I, you know, what I, what I love and I love about our conversation is that we're all runners and it's so relatable. Everything that she said, like we relate to, even though our jobs are certainly different and our lives and our trajectories have certainly been different. Um, we're all runners. And that to me is always like such a nice, such a neat, um, unifying trait. Absolutely. What I loved about our conversation with Anna was how she recognized that there's something so much greater than actual running about running and how running for a greater purpose is what brings purpose to our running, even on those grueling days when we don't feel like going out the door. And in Anna's case, she talks about her youngest brother and he was diagnosed with cancer as a young child and how that impacted her and it full circle this year because she ran for the Dana-Farber Foundation raised a for her and her teammates. And also the fact that she talked about how running really impacted her career. And in fact, she even reported on a running story, which she will share further, but she shared how she reported on Jean Bell, who is the coach of the city and how this former judge coached these young girls to recognize that running can be a gateway toward bigger opportunities. And it was also the subject of a Netflix documentary, um, Girls on Track. She is able to use her platform to bring stories to running and then also use running to impact her career and enhance it. It just was really a wonderful conversation. And while we certainly respect Anna, her career and her running times after this conversation, we realized that she's just a terrific person. And it's no surprise because you and I always talk about this. We meet people in the running community. And of course, initially we meet them because we share the common bond of running. But when we dig deeper and we get to know people, it, it just never ceases to amaze us how many people we get to know who are just quality human beings who also happen to run. And Anna certainly is one of those. Absolutely. I think running attracts a lot of um, those people who are just, like you said, good, good human beings. So we don't want to um, delay too long and we want to bring Anna on, but we wanted to just um, mention a, a couple of upcoming programs and coaching um, pointers that we wanted to uh, mention. So Boston Virtual Group Program. Uh, is kicking off again. This will be our third year doing it. We started it during um, COVID and the October 2021 Boston, and then it was such a popular program and got a lot of great feedback that we did it again for April of 2022. And so we're doing it again for April 2023, and that starts uh, first week in January. So registration for that program is open. Information is on our website. 
And we are now kind of doing intake for all of our new runners that are onboarding um, that are training for spring races. So uh, we've had a lot of really great conversations in the past few weeks with people who've listened to our podcast for a lot of years and are now, you know, deciding to come to us for coaching or runners who we coached many years ago who are coming back now with deciding to get back into marathoning or whatever their goal might be, um, you know, kind of coming out of COVID and setting new goals for themselves for 2023. And so it's been really nice to start um, looking forward to our 2023 roster. Uh, so if you are listening and you are thinking about talking to us about coaching for the 2023 race season, uh, whether that be a marathon or half marathon or your first 5k, contact us. We are, like I said, uh, talking to runners now and the roster starting to fill up, but we're really looking forward to uh, the, the, next, the next set of goals now that uh, fall marathons are starting to wrap up. Um, we're really looking forward to that. Absolutely. So without much further delay, we want to bring on CNN anchor, Ana Cabrera. She can be found on CNN at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where she anchors the weekday edition of CNN Newsroom. And uh, Ana has reported on basically everything from covid pandemic to politics to natural disasters to mass shootings and more. She also has done a substantial amount of political coverage, but she also does um, human interest stories. As we just referenced, she did a Champions for Change story, and she's really uh, very passionate about charitable causes, and that certainly shines through in her reporting and in her career. Prior to joining CNN, she was an anchor for the top-ranked daily morning news program at KMGH-TV 7 News in Denver. And before that, she was an anchor at an NBC affiliate and Fox affiliate in Spokane, Washington. She graduated from Washington State University and the Edward Morrow College of Communications. She is a distinguished alumna. She is a member of the Murrow Professional Advisory Board. And in 2019, she was honored as an inductee into the Murrow Hall of Achievement. And she attended high school in Colorado, where she was a top state runner and then went on to college in her collegiate running career. She is, was one of the top runners on her college team as well. And she shares a lot about that experience and how she learned and grew from that experience. Even when she didn't have the best season, she learned how to come back from that. So we're really excited to welcome Anna. Thank you, Anna, for joining us today. And thank you everyone for listening. And Lisa, I hope you have a great week. I hope you have a great week, Julie. Bye. Bye. Anna Cabrera, we are so excited to welcome you to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Thank you so much for joining us at the heel, on the heels of your show, which just ended about a half hour ago. So thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to talk running with us today. So first of all, congratulations. Can you share with our listeners what you just accomplished a few weeks ago? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to speak with you because I love running and I'm very passionate in, about talking about it too. I'm kind of a student of the sport and I've been running my whole life. And so I just completed my first New York City marathon and it was my fourth marathon in total, but the first that I've also done since I had kids, which uh, has been a while. So my last marathon prior to this was in 2009. So it's been 13 years and it really felt like I was coming at this challenge anew in many ways. I, again, had never done New York, but it was something that's sort of been on my bucket list because it's such an iconic race. And now coming from Colorado, where I lived before New York, now I'm a New Yorker. I, you know, felt like 
I'm in the state. This is like my home turf. I got to do it. And so um, I set out to do it as part of sort of a 40th birthday challenge. I turned 40 earlier this year and I thought now's the time to see physically what I'm capable of in this new decade. And I felt like it was time and I had, you know, the determination to really commit to the training, because as you know, as marathoners yourself, it's such a huge time commitment. And as somebody who is fiercely competitive in everything that I do, I wanted to, you know, really maximize my potential, push myself to my limits and just go for it. I thought, Hmm, maybe I could get a PR. Um, silly me to think about, you know, 13 years later when I ran my last PR, which was in 2009, the last marathon I did, um, that I would, you know, physically be capable of PRing. But nonetheless, that was my goal. And I think my first, my first goal was to break three hours. My PR was 256.41. And that was in Chicago in 2009. Um, I just missed my goal this year in New York in terms of PRing, but I did break three hours. So in that respect, it was very triumphant. I ran 257.11 and uh, I felt very good about that. You absolutely should. Congratulations. And we would tell you that is a PR because number one, it was very hot in New York this year. And number two, the New York City Marathon course is harder. So in our minds, you absolutely are. Yeah, that, that course is deceptively hard. And I think the weather also was deceptively hot. And so somebody told me, don't go out too fast. In fact, I think everybody who's done the New York marathon who found out I was doing it had told me, oh my gosh, the crowd support is amazing. It's such an incredible race. It's an exhilarating experience, but don't go out too fast because you're likely to get caught up in the excitement of the crowds. That's a mistake people make. And then somebody else told me the second half is harder than the first, which naturally it's harder than the first in any marathon because of the distance. Uh, but they knew what they were talking about. The course itself is a lot harder, I think, in the second half. Um, and so I, I felt it. I really felt it. But it was a moment of a long moment, I would say the last eight miles that I felt like I was, you know, suffering, deeply suffering that, uh, it, it really took a lot of digging deep and just that, you know, grit that I think a lot of distance runners have were kind of masochists, you know, gluttons for punishment. And in the marathon, it hurts a lot for a long time. And that was certainly my experience. Uh, this time around New York. And there's a part of me that was kicking myself when I was done thinking maybe if I had run smarter, because of course I went out too fast. Maybe if I had run smarter, I could have hit that PR. So I don't know, maybe, maybe I've got one more in me. Well, I would add to what Julie said that an age graded PR for sure. <laughs> when you add age grading into that, you certainly, you certainly hit a PR. And I think, um, you know, we were talking before we got on about my first experience running New York and how I didn't really understand how to run New York until the second time I ran it. And that's really that, that, that what you say is exactly true that that second half is a lot harder um, and you've got to run it really smart, but now you've, you've learned and, and you still had a, a tremendous experience. So we're going to talk more about your training and how you fit it all in and how you train to run that 
amazing time. Um, but take us back a little bit. Uh, you alluded to kind of your background. You've been a lifelong runner, your background in running. Um, tell us when you started running. Talk to us a little bit about your high school and your college experience and that trajectory and kind of your previous running life before you before you took a little break. Okay, I'll quickly tell, take you back even before high school and college because I really feel like I've been running since I could walk. Uh, my dad was a, a road racer growing up. And so I remember going to 5Ks or maybe 10Ks and cheering him on and it, it enjoying just the ambiance of being at those road races and thinking, this is so fun as a kid. And my dad also coached uh, age group track, small club called the Heart of North Denver Track Club, which was in, um, you know, a real urban neighborhood in Denver. And I was introduced to that sort of, um, part of the running sport, you know, track and field as well. And, and so I started participating in races when I was really young. I think I ran my first 5k when I was four or five years old, um, in Denver. And I, I guess I've always sort of just had it in my bones to be a runner. And again, my dad's influence was a big part of that. And so he saw a gift in me. And he sort of became a pseudo coach early on in my life and ultimately um, helped me, I think, really harness, I don't know if you want to call it talent, but he, he helped me harness my determination in order to reach more of my potential in terms of competitively. And I think, you know, as a, a child, in a big family growing up on an educator's salary, we didn't have a lot of money. I have four siblings. And so there was an early seed planted in my mind that, um, you know, a, a college scholarship was something that was important to pursue. And maybe running was a way to get a scholarship for college. And so it really became a focus uh, for me as an athlete in high school to get the most out of my running potential in pursuit of perhaps getting a college scholarship. And ultimately that is what happened. And so I went from uh, high school to Washington State University where I was recruited to run on the track team to do the long distance as well as cross country. And Coach Lee was the person who recruited me. I, I mentioned him, Coach James Lee, because he has gone on to coach uh, Bernard Lagat, who is one of my heroes and is, you know, a multi-time Olympic medalist uh, in track and field. And so anyway, that took me to Washington State University, which is where I ran cross country and track. And, you know, I never, going from high school to, to college, in high school, I was maybe a a big fish in a small pond, you go to college and the, the competition is just a, a whole other level. And I really was the small fish in a giant ocean. And I, I never was the most talented, but I always felt like I worked as hard as I could to get the most out of my talent. And so I was all Pac-10 and never all American, but all Pac-10. And I think because of my love of the sport and my just competitive nature, Beyond college is where, you know, I've really leaned into uh, running as my, you know, kind of savior in many aspects of life, but also still an outlet of something that gets me really excited to, to challenge myself in. So um, I have a question for you regarding your trajectory and particularly with respect to how 
you felt when you were looking at schools from high school and selecting a program to run for? Um, we are parents ourselves of high school teens, and we know a lot of people who um, aspire to run in college. And when selecting a program, one has to be careful to make sure it's, it's not toxic and that it's a safe space where you can really develop your talent. But also, as you mentioned, love the process so that if you're not necessarily starting out as a big fish in a small pond, you can still enjoy the progress, the progress you're making and appreciate the team you're on. Do you have any advice for listeners out there who are in that position right now as to what to look for in a program? I think you got to visit. Honestly, I think that's the biggest thing is you kind of have a gut feel when you go to campuses and you meet with teammates and coaches. Uh, I was fortunate enough to be recruited by a couple of different places and I went and visited. And I think in my initial mindset was leaning one direction. And then when I went to Washington State University and met with the coach and with teammates, what would be future teammates, uh, it just really clicked with me personally. It felt like the right fit. And I do think that chemistry is so important because you spend so much of your time and your sweat and your, you know, blood and tears that get out there, um, through the process of working really hard as an athlete that you have to enjoy the people that you're with. And it's, it is so physically grueling at that level. Like you're pushing yourself to your limits. When I was in college, I had a stress fracture at one point. Um, but to your point of finding the right fit, I'll, I'll share a quick story because my coach who was the head track coach, so coach Lee recruited me. He was wonderful. I still keep in touch with him to this day. Coach Sloan, Rick Sloan was the head track coach over, um, all of the track and field athletes. And my sophomore year of college, my brother, who was the youngest sibling of five got diagnosed with brain cancer. And he was in fifth grade at the time, 10 years old. And that really hit our family. Who's very close hard. And he was with my parents back in Colorado where I'm from. And I was at Washington state and I had a tough year that year. It was the year I got my stress fracture, dealing with all this stress with my family. And I wasn't running very well. And on top of it, as I looked ahead to my junior year of college, I wanted to study abroad in Spain. And so I knew I was in a position in which I was probably going to lose my college scholarship uh, for track and field because I wasn't performing at the level that I needed. And then I wasn't even going to be there the following semester. And I went and talked to coach Sloan and kind of had this heart to heart moment where I just explained, I said, look, I know I don't maybe deserve to have a scholarship next semester, but my family needs this money. We're struggling. My brother has cancer. That's been really hard on my family. And I just kind of laid it out there. And he ended up opening up his drawer, pulling out a picture that was autographed by all these Olympians. He himself was an Olympian who had battled cancer and gone on to do these amazing things. They survived and, you know, defeated it. And he gave it to me to give to my brother, John. And um, that moment was so powerful. It just speaks to, again, where you end up and who you choose uh, to team up with being 
important. And it was obviously like a family to me at Washington state. And, uh, and I did end up still keeping my scholarship that following semester. That's a, a amazing story. And it, it, I think speaks to the, um, kind of the emotional side to running. And, and like you said, our teammates and who we choose to, to train with and work with and the coaches we work with. And it's such a, it's more than just the running it's, it's, you know, the, the emotions around it and it's, um, uh, you know, the support that you get from that community. So I think that's a great illustration of, of that one. Once you left college, what was your kind of running support network like? And I, we know you, you know, you mentioned before you ran your first marathons right out of college when you were a lot younger. How did that, what happened when you left college? What, how did that, you know, how did you transition into that kind of post-collegiate life? For a long time, I wasn't super into getting right back into training for a goal. It was more about just running for health and for fitness and running's always been my go-to in part because I do enjoy running, but also because of its efficiency. You know, you can squeeze in a quick 30 minute run. You don't need a lot of equipment. You don't have to drive to a gym. You can just put on your shoes and go. And so it was easier to fit it into my life. And, um, we were in Spokane, Washington, where I started my career. My husband and I, uh, found a running club there that met at an Irish pub, you know, once a week and you'd go run a 5k and drink beer as if like everything balanced out. It didn't quite happen that way, but that was, you know, became another um, way that we got to meet people. And so that running community was so awesome. I think, you know, running is such an individual sport in a lot of ways. And that's one of the things I love so much about it, where you measure your success based on your own times, um, based on, you know, where you're at in life. And, and, and so there are many ways where you can feel successful and you don't rely necessarily on other people to help you be successful. Um, but there is something really special about kind of the shared experience of runners and, it allows you to connect and, and you automatically have that in common and, and runners are just good people. And so we really did find a good community there because running uh, connected us with a lot of, you know, what became friends uh, in, in that city that was away from home for both of us. And so it was more casual when I left college and then I decided, you know, I ran the 10K which was the longest distance in college. And I had never done a marathon. The marathon became kind of that next goal of something that was new and exciting and, you know, had never experienced what I was capable of yet. And so I thought that that seemed like the next right step to take. And looking back on that, you know, those first marathons, do you feel like you've, and, and kind of the flashing forward to now, do you feel like you learned a lot? Do you feel like you knew what you were doing back then? Are there mistakes that you made or, you know, perspective that you have now that you train, you know, this time, this time around you're training as somebody's, you know, balancing a family and, and career. Um, when you look back at that, how do you think you've um, kind of uh, evolved as a runner over, over the years? Well, I think maybe this isn't how you experienced it, but for me, the first marathon was, definitely the hardest because my body had never been taxed to that level in terms of just the sheer distance and hours spent running, you know, nonstop. And so I did get dinged up. I remember I ended up with like, um, kind of a tendonitis in the side of my foot. I had to have a cortisone shot before that first marathon. It wasn't a great first marathon. I 
think I was dying around mile 15 and had to gut it out the rest of the way. But, you know, part of me, somebody might just drop out at that point and say, like, that's not my day and just not worth it to finish, especially, you know, you're in pain, you're in a marathon. I think everybody ultimately feels that pain. But, uh, but to me, it was important to finish. Like, I never want to be a quitter, even if I'm not reaching my goal. So I didn't hit my goal that year, but it was I guess fun just to have a marathon under my belt again, just finishing did bring me a sense of accomplishment, but then I was determined to do better. And so, uh, my second marathon was in the twin cities and it turned out to be a torrential downpour, um, for about half of the race, I would say, <laughs> where you're just in your shoes. And it was, um, but I remember feeling like so much stronger in that race. And that was kind of addicting where it was like, oh man, that was so fun because it felt, I felt so much more in control. I felt like I had run smarter and maybe trained smarter to, uh, avoid injury and to be able to, you know, go the distance at a certain pace longer. And I think part of it was just kind of the, the cumulative effect of my body also adjusting to the distance. And so having experienced that, I set out the following year in 2009, this was my back-to-back marathons, 2007, 2008, 2009 is when I did Chicago. And I chose Chicago in part because it's another, you know, kind of storied marathon and it's also known to be a fast course (laughs) and it's in the fall. So I could still train in, I think the easiest months of the year to train with daylight and warmer temperatures and all of that. And, uh, and in Chicago, I felt like I just hit the mark. I, I ran a great race. I didn't hit the wall or have the bear jump on my back, you know, in that last 10 K I ran a pretty even pace throughout. And I, that's where I ran 256, 41, but that was one where I just felt like everything kind of gels and came together. But the reason I hadn't done a marathon since then was because it's such a huge time commitment to train. And I think that's what I had learned over time was like, you have to really put in the work. You can't, And especially in order to reach the goal, if your goal is to just finish a marathon, you can probably, you know, be a little bit less dedicated to the training, but at the same time, you're not going to be able to achieve what you're capable of. Uh, And so that's why I hit pause. I had kids, we started a family. Now my oldest is 11 and my youngest is six. And so it's taken a while to get back in the game in that regard. But, um, but this time it was, important to me again, not only because it was my 40th and there was, this was going to be this great physical challenges, which is where this all started, right? This idea of doing New York this year, but then it became something else. And it became a, a commitment to a cause that is so meaningful to me. I mentioned my brother who had pediatric brain cancer. Thankfully he is a survivor and is still with us today, but I have a couple of colleagues here at CNN who lost children recently in their battles with cancer. And so we ended up uniting a handful of us here at CNN to raise money through our marathon uh, for Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. And we called it Team Beans in honor and memory of one of my colleagues who lost his child who they called Beans. Her name was Francesca. And um, that deeper mission brought even more motivation to my training and my commitment uh, to really completing this marathon at the, in the best that I could do. And I think that's ultimately what took me there. And so I think, I know it was a long answer to your 
your question, but I think coming back to the original question in terms of like lessons learned through training and advice and getting wiser, it's, you know, the, the specificity piece, it's listening to your body to avoid injury. It's, it's fueling along the way to make sure that you are giving the right kind of fuel to your body and, um, and just putting in the time and the work in order to really prepare yourself for that race. So first of all, we couldn't agree with you more that when you have a greater mission and of course, with respect to your brother and team beans and that beautiful baby that Andrew Kaczynski always puts um, her pictures out on Twitter and uh, the cause itself, the overarching cause really can fuel the fire, especially during the last bit of a marathon and especially during the grueling training um, miles. But you also work sometimes, we would guess 60, 70 hours a week, given the demands of your job. So how have you managed to fit your training in along with the family and, and also not feel like you're burning the candle at both ends? And we ask this not just for ourselves, but we just, we know so many women out there that are in demanding jobs like yours that really want to do well, but feel like something always has to give. So how, how did you do that? Fortunately, I have a very, very, very supportive husband who, uh, who fully embraced this challenge for me and, you know, was willing to step up and, and do some additional, you know, domestic responsibilities in order to pave the path for me to have the time to train. But I think the other piece of it is I, I feel like I'm a better mom if I'm able to feel personally fulfilled in areas outside of work areas outside of just being a parent and because running is a passion for me. And it's also, uh, you know, how I keep myself physically healthy. It's also how I keep myself mentally healthy. So there are a lot of reasons why it was important for me to have that time and to make the time to get my training in. I, I the other part was, you know, you just have to commit and, and dedicate the time is how you got to build it into your day. Because I know if you don't, that the time slips away from you day in and day out. So, you know, coming up with a plan for your week in terms of when you're going to get your runs in. And on some days for me, it was before work and it was getting up before the sun came up, you know, when I was training for this marathon, happy to go for my run at 5 a.m. Some days it was, you know, going for running for runs in the dark after I got home. Um, but just committing to doing it, like, I, you know, the old Nike slogan, just do it like that. I had to tell myself a lot of times, like, I don't want to do this. I don't have time to do this. Just do it, you know, and committing to it, prioritizing it was something that was really important to me. But I think my family benefited from it as well. I think my work benefits from it as well, because it adds depth to who I am and what I bring to the table, um, for my, my colleagues and the job and my viewers. So it, it allows me also to connect on that deeper level with people. And that is important to me. So for, I think anybody in your profession, whatever it is you do, like you have to fill your own tank in order to be able to give as much of yourself to whatever you're committed to. Yeah, I think that um, is universal, whether you're um, a, a correspondent, whether you're an anchor, whether you're, you know, just somebody who's got it an everyday, you know, a different type of job. I think that's universal. I, I'm intrigued by you saying that, you know, it, it, it brings a lot to your job. Have you worked on stories or done stories? Do you feel that um, 
that get to pursue your interest in running and get to um, bring your uh, your running experience to the table. Like, I mean, actually specifically running. Like, have you interviewed runners or have you ever done an interview on a run or have you ever gone for a run with somebody? Like, have you ever like connected with people through running in oh. your job? Well, just recently this year, we have this Champions for Change series that we do every year. And I was so excited this year to highlight as my champion for change, a woman who runs a track club here in New York that's dedicated to young girls, Juness, and a lot of these, these girls that are part of the club come from underprivileged neighborhoods, and she really helps them you know, physically find out what they can do, builds confidence, but also puts them on a path um, that may be outside of what their other experiences are based on kind of their upbringing. And so she was somebody I was able to highlight and that brought me so much joy because it did mean so much to me on a personal level um, in what she was doing. And so that's an example, but I do think I bring some of the lessons that I've learned from running to my job every day. You know, I, I know other runners can relate to this idea of life's you know, a marathon, it really isn't a sprint. And so, you know, being able to feel like hard work leads to a greater reward and, um, and that sometimes it is the journey that is fulfilling, not just the destination. I mean, there are a lot of times where there are long days at work. There are stories that just don't come very easily. And, you know, there's a lot of stress and being able to face adversity in the jobs that we do or see adversity in what, you know, we're covering. Um, I, I lean into my experiences as a runner and being able to kind of overcome some of those challenges um, and that experience and the resiliency that was built because of my running experiences translates into other aspects of life and the work that I do. We couldn't agree more. It's definitely a parallel to life when you experience micro challenges during a race and you're really down on yourself when you can think of something much greater than the race itself and push through it. Um, that's something, a skill, a mental skill that runners specifically develop, especially distance runners. So when you were running New York this year, it was a really tough race. And we coached a lot of runners who really understandably struggled in the heat. And we just wanted to hear your thoughts and your experience during the race, particularly when the temperatures started going even higher than what was forecasted. How did you deal with that mentally and physically? Oh, that, that I, it was one of those where it was, to me was one foot in front of the other, just keep, keep, you know, chopping away at it, keep grinding it out because I did feel like maybe it was that I went out too fast. Maybe it was that I went out too fast for conditions. Um, but it was like probably around mile 18 where I started to feel like I was really tightening up and mind you, my watch died at mile 17. So pretty soon I like had no idea what pace I was running. I assumed I was really slowing down cause I felt physically like it was getting a lot harder and you I, didn't. you were I, like, even, uh, which is well, amazing. I don't think that's the truth, but I was shocked when I, you know, saw my, my, my time at the end of the day, but around mile 18, I was, I was hurting and I felt like I could tell I wasn't getting enough fluids. You know, I would get a quick couple of sips at every water station as I was going, but it just didn't seem to be replenished enough. And I, perhaps that was, you know, part of why I was just really tightening up. But I think for me, 
it was kind of like listening to that, but not allowing it to not allowing the voices in my head that were saying, stop, stop, slow down. This, this is too painful. This hurts too bad. Um, I got through those moments and and overcame those voices by just focusing on shorter distances and just saying, okay, I'm just going to get through the next mile. Okay. I'm just going to get over that next hill. I'm just going to keep running and trying to kind of chop it into smaller distances and plow forward. Um, comes back to like, one of my coaches once told me if you give up during practice or if you give up in a race like the DNF, because it's not your day, you aren't going, if you aren't planning, you know, ultimately going to reach your goal and some people choose to drop out. But once you give yourself that out by dropping out, then it's easier to do that another time. And so um, I think that was part of my determination too to kind of fight through the pain. Now, obviously some people can't fight through the pain. Like you are just physically incapable of it. And we saw too many people, you know, end up in the medical tents and, you know, I saw this poor guy at mile 25 bending over, trying to stretch his hamstring because he was cramping up so bad. So like physically he couldn't keep putting one foot in front of the other. And in fact, he started to try to run again. And he like, you know, came up lame because his hamstring was just in a knot. And I just remember running past him thinking, well, on one hand, it could be worse than what I'm feeling right now, but two, feeling so bad for him because he was so close and I could tell he wanted it so bad. Um, and so again, we're you're kind of in that realm of m- misery loves company. Um, and there's that we're all experiencing something separately, but we also kind of know what the other guy is probably feeling as well. And, and some of us, and so there is that helped get me through. And it was a learning experience. You know, each of these races are learning experiences. And, um, that's why I think I kind of want to do New York again, just to see if I could have a different experience when it's not as hot or when I don't go out quite as fast. So that, that was our next question. First, how's your recovery been post race? And second, what, what's your next goal? (laughs) What are you thinking of next? Because we all think of that, right? We all finish and then we all, all of a sudden that's what we have to do is start thinking about next goals. I know. I know. My, my recovery, thankfully, is good. I, I battled in my training um, runner's knee pretty much throughout my entire duration of my training. But I, I went and saw an orthopedic guy. He assured me that it was okay to keep running. And I had to kind of adjust my training as a result. But I was able to build up the mileage to the extent that I felt like I was you know, needing to, in order to be able to compete and complete the, the marathon at that level. Um, and so that's something I'm still recovering from. I'm still dealing with a little bit of runner's knee and I've backed my training way off. I didn't run at all the first week after the marathon. I felt like I could hardly walk after the marathon, which, you know, when you run a hard race, that's not always the case, especially when you're in really good shape, you feel like, okay, I'm a little sore, but this one like really took a toll on my, my hips and my knees and, you know, just tight everywhere. And so it felt really good just to to not run for a week. And then my first run back, it was like, (laughs) I like weird tightness in my back and stuff. And I realized, you know, like how physically drained my body was. Um, but I've been now running for a few days and just kind of running for fun again, where it's more of like the stress relief it's, you know, getting the blood flow and that feels good. And so that's where I'm at. I haven't quite set my next goal yet. I would love to do Boston at some point. I qualified this year in the New York marathon. And I understand that it would have to be for 2024 is the earliest I could do it. So it wouldn't be this, 
next Boston anyway. Maybe that will be my next goal, but I haven't decided just yet. Actually, Bernard Legat, my my friend Kip, who I I met and and kind of was pseudo teammates with uh, at Washington State University because that was all his alma mater as well, and Coach Lee was his coach up through his professional running career. He he messaged me that he may have to come out of retirement to run New York with me next time around. So I don't know. I might, might hold him to it. That would be amazing. How great would it be to have a Sherpa like that running New York oh, with you? Oh, to have like that experienced athlete and at that level uh, guiding me along the streets, that would be pretty amazing. That would be a dream. So do you train generally with uh, on a team or with other people? And do you have a coach? And, and if not, how do you kind of put together your training plans? I don't train with a team typically. I have a neighbor friend who is also a runner. And so she and I have tried to do runs together here or there where we can fit them in. She's a, a mom of five kids. So she's also <laughs> uh, very busy and juggling a lot. You know, her, her career, we don't train all the time together, but my dad is still my coach as you know, it's kind of come full circle. He, uh, he's run many marathons. And so he, he has designed my marathon training plan all four times that I've done it. And so he, he put it out for me week by week, you know, we have like a chart, it's all, all set out. And I just followed it. I just stuck to his plan and trusted that he knew what he was doing. And, you know, I would call him with my aches and pains and concerns about certain parts of, you know, how I was feeling during the the training process and we'd make adjustments. And so it was really fun to share, uh, just the whole experience with him being my, my unofficial coach, but official as far as I was concerned. And I guess I'm just somebody who doesn't mind running alone. You know, some people need the, the team to be motivated or just you know, in order to, to make those runs, um, to stay committed to those runs and, and to make it feel like a, a bigger experience. I, I enjoy running again, the convenience factor it was where, whenever I could fit it in. So to have to run with a team wouldn't work for me and my schedule. Um, and that has worked for me, just the, the approach that I've taken. Okay, so I have two questions as a follow-up. First of all, um, can you share a little bit about the nuts and bolts of dad's training plan? And secondly, yeah. do you listen to anything while you're running? Um, okay, I'll, I'll start with the nuts and bolts. He designs it to start with running long, slow distance and you build up week by week. You know, I think I started my mileage because they had been running. I was probably starting my training program running about 30 miles a week. And then it was gradually building on in like the first several weeks of my training, maybe I mean, I started in May with the, with, you know, the New York marathon in mind. So it was a few months of training of just not worrying about speed, not worrying about, you know, hill repeats or anything. It was just getting the distance and building up the mileage. And I would run a long run every week. I would run a kind of a medium long run every week. And in between. Otherwise it was just, you know, getting out for a little bit shorter runs. And then we entered a phase where it was more about the strength piece of building in like hill repeats in order to sort of stimulate like, you know, faster twitch muscles, obviously build strength that could then translate to the hills on the course. 
Um, and then we would, you know, build up hill repeats. I do that like once or twice a week, hill repeats. And, you know, you start at like eight times hill repeats and you run up and down. And then it was 10 times hill repeats the next week, up to 12 times hill repeats. We did that for a few weeks. That part of my training schedule was shortened because of my knee issues. And I had to um, extend the, the slower and the slower training part of the program uh, longer. And then the last part of my training program was really focused on adding a little bit of speed work, but the speed work wasn't on the track. It was more of like interval training, um, fart like training for those who are familiar where it would be like longer intervals, like four minutes on running 10 K pace, and then two minutes off just recovery and doing that, you know, four times, and then maybe doing four times, two minutes on with, you know, minute and a half recovery. Um, and I ultimately, my longest, I would say distance week that I covered was around 66 miles in one week. And I had probably three or four weeks that were above 60 miles. Um, but it was, you know, that long, slow build up to the peak and then kind of a slow decline. And then I read, I did my last long run. I ended up running four 20 plus mile runs Did my last one about a month, exactly a month before the marathon. And so then it was kind of like a slow taper and sharpening. And the last couple of weeks, I backed my mileage way off where I was running you know, 20, like my last week, I was running like 25 miles before the marathon that whole week. Um, as for, as far as like the, do I listen to music? Not every run. I was definitely listening to music though in my long runs because just fun, you know, it's nice to, you get those songs that make you feel good and pump you up. And I considered listening to music in the marathon with my, you know, I had a kind of my plan with my AirPod in one ear, I was going to keep the other one out. And having talked to so many people who discussed and repeated the same kind of message about the marathon experience, especially New York being so special because of the amount of crowd support and the energy on the course, I decided I didn't want my music to take away from that part of the experience. And so I'm glad that I chose not to, and I, I definitely didn't need it. You know, New York is, I will say, unlike any other race that I've ever run any distance in terms of the amount of energy and crowd support that was along the course. And perhaps because of the nice weather this year, it made it, it amplified that piece of it, but it was really a special experience because of uh, all of that. Yeah, that's good advice. And, and advice we give to a lot of our runners, especially in, in those big races where you've got that, who's, uh, you know, everyone cheering, cheering you on. And we think your dad's, uh, your dad's advice as well as a, as a coach is, uh, is spot on. He's, he's a great coach. So you're lucky to have him as, as a resource and as coaches, we always say it's so important for us to know our runners and understand our runners and who knows and understands you better than, than your own parent. Was your dad, um, out at in New York for the marathon? Was he there on race day? No, he was definitely there in spirit. He wasn't able to make it out because as I mentioned, I have a lot of siblings and my sister, <laughs> parents for some child care. She was out of, uh, she was on a trip with her husband. So they were there with her family, but, uh, in spirit for sure. While I was running, of course, my, my kids were on the course though, which was really fun to share in that experience with them because, um, they had never been to a marathon before. And so they were out there cheering at a couple of spots along the course. And afterwards, you know, they were as enthusiastic as I could ever imagine. And I think it inspired them to want to run a little bit more too. 
I was going to say it probably brings it back full circle to where we started of you watching your dad out on the course and feeling that excitement and maybe now instill that in your kids. And in 20, 30 years, they'll be saying the same thing of, I remember watching my mom at the New York City Marathon. Well, it has been such a pleasure talking to you, Anna. You know, the one thing all runners have in common, we have that same passion for running and the same experiences across, you know, across the, the training and racing. Um, so it's just fun to hear you talk about, you know, experiences that we kind of all have as runners. And um, we're just so impressed. You just run a lot faster than a lot of people. So we're so impressed with your, um, you know, just your your ability to fit this into your busy life and to um, also do it for an important meaningful cause um, and to do it really well. And we hope we'll see you at Boston. Boston is not the end all be all. It doesn't, not everybody has to run Boston, but you are qualified and we think you'd have a, a, you know, a similarly amazing experience at Boston, but whatever your next goals are, we hope you'll keep in touch with us and, um, you know, keep, uh, keep, keep inspiring others uh, with, with your, your achievements and your ability to fit it all in. Oh, I appreciate that so much. I definitely want to lean into your counsel and advice should I end up uh, running Boston because you have such a great wealth of experience and knowledge of that race in particular. So thank you again for hosting me on your show today and just having this conversation. It was really fun to connect with both of you. And um, thanks to all the people who are out there supporting us runners, right? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Anna. You were terrific. And we wish you all the best in your running and goals. And we have no doubt we'll see a lot more achieved over the next several years. So thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryant. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others. And please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.